So when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, notice, but the servants, the servants who had drawn the water, they knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And I love this. There's a phrase and, um, that I've heard that I, I kind of like it. It says, they, they, they know him best who serve him most. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Oh, powerful, untamable, awestruck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Our scripture today says, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. This took faith on behalf of the servants. Imagine how angry the master of the feast would be if they brought him water to taste. Yet in faith, they obeyed the word of Jesus. The faithful servants who did their work as they were directed knew the greatness of the miracle. The master of the feast only knew it was good wine. He didn't know it was a miracle. This knowledge was a special blessing to the servants. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. And if you can submit yourself to one whom you can't see, it won't be very hard for you. It shouldn't be hard for you to submit to those whom you can see, your parents. 1 John 5, verse 3, John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. The more I walk with the Lord, the more I delight to do what he tells me to do. Because I find the secret that when I obey him, I find that my life is a blessing. It may not be easy. It may be hard sometimes. But to do the right thing is I I can always sleep at night. Even when I mess up, I can sleep at night knowing that he's forgiven me. But when when I'm obedient to him, there's a great peace and a great joy. Are you being obedient to God? Or is your life... Or is your pill chest filled with all kinds of anxiety medicines because you're living a life in opposition to God? Now, not everybody who has a problem is disobedient to God, but there are those whose lives have been racked with so much pain and guilt and suffering and because they've they've done the wrong thing. They've continually done the wrong thing, and now they've created a life that is complete opposition to God. They're paying the consequence for it, and the only thing that can dull that pain is the oxycodone or whatever the painkiller is, or whatever they find on the street, they, they, melt, they, they dull it to death instead of humbling themselves. Oh, how we need to humble ourselves today. I need to humble myself. Often, I need to. The only way up is down. Didn't Jesus say, if you humble yourself, you will be exalted? Notice the, the order there. He doesn't say exalt yourself and we'll take you higher. No, he says, 
If you humble yourself, I will exalt you. That's the way it's got to be. Is Jesus just Savior? Or is he Lord and Savior? This phrase, Lord and Savior, actually occurs four times in the New Testament. In that order, Lord and Savior. It never occurs Savior and Lord. You know why? I believe the order there is significant. Because if he's not Lord of my life, then I won't have any great confidence that he's my Savior either. But when he's Lord of my life, if I'm submitting to him, I'll have the confidence that, because if I do that, I'm doing that because the Spirit of God is in me and I've submitted myself to him. And as a result of that, I'll have a greater confidence that he's doing something in me and that he loves me because I do those things that he asks. It's really pretty simple. It's not legalism. It's a relationship, right? But Lord and Savior, the order is very important. Lord and Savior. If he's just your Savior, but not your Lord, you may say, I got my, 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 my ticket stamped to glory, and then I'm just going to live like a pagan for the rest of my life. Your whole life is going to be racked with pain and suffering, and you will have no confidence whatsoever that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. That is the truth. Because everyone I've talked to who has lived like that, they have no confidence whatsoever. Even those who say, oh, I believe, yeah, I believe in God. You know, they kind of a general thing. I believe in God. Well, do you believe in Jesus? No, I just believe in the Father. Well, Jesus said if you don't have him, you don't have the Father either. So you got a kind of a wrinkle there. He has to be Lord first. And then your Savior. You'll have confidence that he's your Savior. Make him your Lord today. People like the idea of just him being Savior because they want to continue in their sin. They don't want him to be Lord. A Lord requires obedience. It requires it requires your heart. So now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So six pots. I mean, they're, they're not pots like these. They're bigger pots, and they hold 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And the Jews would use that water to wash their hands. They had a, a lot of rituals in washing their hands. Nothing against washing hands. We've learned to wash our hands in the pandemic pretty well. Uh, so we kind of feel like Jews, don't we? We're always washing our hands and everything. But they would use that to wash their hands often, before, after, during. They'd wash their feet when they're out and about. They'd come home, wash their feet. They'd wash the feet of their guests. So these water pots were significant for them. And there'd be much water that's needed. But you know, that there's, a, there's something interesting in this as we, as we look at the water pots that the Jews would use for purifying, and we look at the wine that Jesus is going to provide, which is really symbolic if you think of it. The Old Testament, uh, the rules and the rituals, and then we have the wine which signifies the new life in Christ, the New Testament, the joy. And in here you have a type of the two. You have a type of the two. You remember the Pharisees, they were more concerned about the outward appearance rather than the inward, and that's, the, that's one of the big differences. God never meant it to be just an outward thing. Even in the Old Testament, it was always about the inward, but man, because we are all the same, we, we tend to make these things 
once we do it a few times, we, we, we develop a system. And before long, we forget why we're doing that. We just continue in it. Does that make sense? Anybody done that? You just kind of do something because you've done it forever. And then somebody asks, why do you do that? Because it's always been done that way. <laughs> we don't have a clue why we do it. But they were more concerned about the outward washings. Even um, the Lord spoke to Samuel, remember, and he says, The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we have this treasure by the Spirit of God indwelling in us in this New Testament that we live in because we were Christians. We have the Spirit of God in us. And what a difference it is from the Old Testament, in a sense, at least the old ritual, not, not, not the, the laws themselves. They were good. The law was good. But the Jews got to the point where they were just going through the motions, and they forgot that it really was an inward thing that God was wanting to do. But they got it external. Everything was external. They were full of uh, extortion and all kinds of stuff in their hearts. What did he say to them in Matthew? He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They forgot that God was always about the internal, not just the external. God cares about the external, but he really cares about the internal because it's what happens inside that manifests itself outwardly. Isn't that what Paul said to the Philippians? He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The salvation that God has given you, the Spirit of God indwelling in you, is what conforms you from the inside. And as he's doing that, it becomes obvious or manifested outwardly. When the Spirit of God is in me, my, my mouth is not so filthy. When the Spirit of God is in me, my, my, I'm being transformed inside, from the inside out. My mind is not thinking evil things. I'm not doing evil things. I don't have a propensity to continue doing evil things. It doesn't mean you're sinless. And when you make a mistake, you make a mistake and you sin and you confess it and you're, you're clean again from the, as far as the Lord is concerned. But what are you doing? Is it just outward? The washing? Or is it all about the inside? It's all about the inside, folks. It's all about the inside. Jesus at the Last Supper, what did he say? He said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, because Judas was in the room. And I love what, John's, uh, what Jesus said later on in John's Gospel, in chapter 15, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus speaks a word, and you are clean. You are clean by the word of God. Not through the external washing of hands and stuff like that. God would much rather have a person who's got a muddy face, all filthy, dirty, and comes and they've been cleansed on the inside. He would much rather have that. That's one of the, the, one of the big deals when Calvary Chapel, the movement, started in the 60s. The hippies came off the streets and they began to fill Chuck Smith's church there. And I remember the elders of that church were getting really upset because they just put in a new carpet. And these hippies would come in with their dirty sandals, with their dirty clothes. They would stink. And they would come in, and, 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 they, and, and Chuck rebuked them. And he said, well, if the carpet's a problem, then just tear the carpet out and take it out of here. I love that. 
Keep the people, but get rid of the carpet. If the carpet's being a stumbling block, then get rid of it. God cares about people. He sees the inside. He wants to clean you on the inside. He wants to save you. Are you saved this morning? Are you born again of the Spirit of God? The Bible says that if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you are not a Christian. I don't care if you sell baked goods to to Mother Teresa. I don't care what you do, no matter the bake sales that you do. I don't care if you help the elderly across the street. Those are all good things to do. When Virginia needs to go outside, by all means, help her out to her car. Those are all good things we ought to do anyway. But those things don't make us right with God. We do those things because we are right with God. Right? We don't try to earn it. You can't earn it. In verse 7, he says, Jesus said to them, notice these, there's these six water pots, 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And he says, um, fill the water pots with water. And notice, they filled them up to the brim. They were obedient to Jesus. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And they must have thought he was crazy. Are you kidding me? You're going to fill these water pots up that are used for the purifying of the Jews, washing of hands? And you're going to fill those up and then you want us to draw water out and take it to the... Okay, we'll just do it. We'll do what you said. There is a wonderful, wonderful thing is to just be obedient. Regardless of what you think. If Jesus says to do something, do we argue with him? We actually, we do, don't we? We argue with him all the time. You know, he tells us to do something or put something on our heart. Well, there's got to be a better way than that. The Bible kind of tells us to do something. We're like, I I think I can do a better job. In fact, I can do it and not get caught. I can do it and not get caught. Watch me, Lord. He's like, okay, I've seen this before. (laughs) Just waiting for the ball to drop. Yeah, they must have thought he was crazy, but they obeyed him. And in the obeying is when God did the miracle. I love that. So when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, notice, but the servants, the servants who had drawn the water, they knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And I love this. There's a phrase and um, that I've heard that I, I kind of like it. It says, they, they, they know him best who serve him most. And I think there's some truth to that. You know, when you serve the Lord, you get to know him. You know his ways. You get to see what he does. And these servants, certainly by obeying, they were all whispering and going, I can't believe this is happening. And everybody else was completely oblivious to it. They were just having, go, the, the, the wedding feast was going on. But the servants knew. They were obedient. They saw what Jesus did. And I love that. In John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus said to his disciples there in the upper room, he says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. That's a relationship. That's a relationship. That's the kind of relationship I want. Do you want that same relationship? I know, do you? Say yes if you do. Okay, great. Awesome. Awesome. And he, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. And you know, this seems to be the way with the Lord. This seems to be his way. What do I mean by that? The natural to the supernatural. The corruption to incorruption. The natural 
to the supernatural. Do you follow me? He took just water and made it into wine. That can't happen except God does it. Nobody on the planet can make that happen. That's why this, this, this marriage at Cana and this incident that happened here is so important. He takes something, na- he has power over, the, over nature. He can say, wind be still. He could be in the middle of a hurricane. He can drop down one of the, those Navy SEALs guys, you know, with the, the, the Black Hawk helicopter, then go right down in the center of the eye of the storm. Jesus could get on a raft and say, be still. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the satellite image of that swirling motion just kind of goes, it's over. Wow, what an amazing coincidence. No, no coincidences. Almighty God. But from the natural to the, un, you know, to the supernatural. I love when in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, speaking concerning our resurrection bodies, he says this. He says the body is sown in corruption. Our body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. And that's what we celebrated on Easter Sunday. It is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Just as Jesus rose again from that natural body that he had to a supernatural celestial body, the resurrection body, which you and I, folks, are going to have as well. I'm looking forward to that day. I'll probably be 20 or 30 pounds skinnier, which would be really good. Be able to live forever in that body, and so will you. No sickness, no disease, no arthritis, no osteoporosis, no cancer, no indigestion, no more Tums, guys. No more aching joints. You don't have to go to Florida then to escape the cold weather and the arthritis that it brings upon you. It's a natural body, and there, there is a spiritual body. And, and, he, and he says it's written, the first Adam uh, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural. And then afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man, the Lord from heaven. You get the idea from natural to supernatural, from corruption to incorruption. And now he's taking simple water and he's making it into a supernatural thing. Wine, 120 gallons of it. That feast that's going to go for a week, they're going to have plenty. Plenty of joy. I love the contrast with this in the Old Testament. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. And remember what Jesus spoke to that woman at the well. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. She was standing there at the well in Samaria, and Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water, of this well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What a difference between the old and the new. The Spirit of God is what makes the difference. Indwelling us. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Notice, this is the beginning of signs or miracles. 
It's the beginning. It wasn't the end. But notice the result of it. His disciples, what they do? They believed in him. Even though their understanding was immature, we know that to be the case. They didn't have a great deep understanding of who Jesus was, but their faith, their devotion to him would develop. It would grow over time as Jesus would spend time with them. It's very clear that their understanding of him was growing because of passages like this one in John chapter 2. We're going to get to this later on in the next week. Where Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Notice, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered. When he had risen from the dead... So all that time that Jesus was with them, they were still a little cloudy on what this was all about. But when he rose again, what does it say? His disciples remembered that he had said this to him, and they believed the scripture and the word which he had said. And in fact, after his resurrection, remember, it says Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb when it followed John, the apostle. And saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And then John says, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. And guess what? For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the grave. Rise again from the dead. They didn't know it. And this was after the resurrection. So you know what? I feel comforted by that because I feel like I'm in good company. Do you feel like you're in good company when you don't always get something and you have to go through school again? You have to learn something again the second time? Can I let you know a little secret? I was actually held back in, in kindergarten. I went through kindergarten once. I started when I was five. And then I was so immature that they actually held me back again for another year to go through kindergarten because when the teacher would close her eyes, I would run out of the classroom and, and she, missed, she didn't even recognize that I was gone for a while. But I, I went to a park near my house, and I hung out there for the whole day. And my mom was at work, had no idea that I was in a park all by myself, playing on the swing sets. Why did I bring that up? I have no idea. <laughs> Actually, I really don't. I had a plan there, and it just kind of went south on me, so I'm Sorry. <laughs> But he, they didn't know. They didn't know. And, and I, 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 there's, there's my point. is I, I can relate to this because I don't have it all together. I have to learn things again and again and again. And don't be ashamed by that. Don't be ashamed by that. The main thing is that you learn. If you don't learn from your mistake, that's the travesty. When you don't learn. I like to learn. Do you like to learn? I really do. I like to learn. I don't like making mistakes over and over again. I like making them. I make them once and I feel embarrassed. The second time I feel like a real weirdo. And I'm like, you know what? This is it. I'm done. I don't want to make the same mistake again. It hurts. It's too painful. Plus, my pride is hurt too, which is really the main thing. Right? But I want to share something with you today in our last 10 minutes together. It says, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You know, I don't believe that this miracle that Jesus did, this first miracle, I don't believe it was any coincidence that he did it at a wedding. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.